This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. We've been talking about digging out the last couple of weeks. As our nation seeks to dig out from the pandemic, I know we got the other variant roaming around there, but it still seems like we're moving forward. Even here at West Concord, we're trying to reestablish and reignite. We're trying to dig out. But it's more than just an institutional thing or a business thing. It is a personal thing, digging out. For so many have been struggling with being isolated and quarantined, masked. And we're starting to come out. But you know, even before the pandemic, there was a lot of pent up individualism. We were chained up. We were tied up. We were locked away in our own self-absorption, self-desire, and selfishness. Now it is time to dig out. So as our nation digs out, as our church digs out, as our businesses and schools dig out, we as believers in Jesus Christ need to dig out. We talked first about breaking up the crust that is getting in the way of us planting our lives in Christ. We also looked last week at the fact that sometimes it is necessary to be put down in the pit. And I do believe God allowed that pandemic for a purpose. I believe God put us in that pit on purpose because God wanted to bring us back out of that better and stronger. And so as we get together this morning around God's word, we're going to continue talking about digging out. We're going to talk this morning about coming out of the grave as the praise team sung so beautifully about. Coming out of the grave. We serve a risen Savior, we know that. You know, ordinarily when we talk about resurrection, we save that for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But we're going to talk about resurrection again today because we don't talk about it enough. And by the way, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We worship on Sunday morning because our Lord rose from the dead on Sunday morning. That's why we call this the Lord's Day. This is not the Sabbath. Most of you know that. The Jewish Sabbath happens Friday night from 6 p.m. to Saturday night at 6 p.m. This is not the Sabbath. This is the Lord's Day. This is the day that Jesus rose again. But you know what's sad about that fact? Even though it's true, as a matter of fact, It is one of the most historically provable truths out there. There is more history proving that Jesus rose again from the dead than there is Washington crossing the Delaware. He arose. He's alive. And yet we do not let that impact us because we haven't realized practically, fully, that through him we are also risen and alive. Because as the world is concerned, all humanity is condemned in sin. We are born in sin. We sin because we're sinners. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is death. Or excuse me, Romans chapter 6. But the gift of God is eternal life. And here's the thing. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... You've not only been just given the gift of eternal life. You've not only just been given the gift of heaven, which is amazing in and of itself. 
I mean, if that were it, that'd be pretty cool. But you and I, through faith in Christ, have literally been risen to new life. We are not supposed to walk around as dead men and women anymore. Yet it seems that what, that's what we insist on doing. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors and a great Christian scholar and apologist. When speaking of the idea that we are dead people, yes, we are in a worldly sense. And he said this, he said, submit to death. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. See, it's not until you realize that because of sin, you and I are dead spiritually. It's not until we realize that because of sin, we are separated from God. It is not until we come to the place where we realize that, confess that, and own it. It is not until then that we can enjoy life with Christ. We have to come to him admitting our, our spiritual deadness. We have to go to him admitting our sinfulness owning our condemned state. And it is then when we cast our full faith and confidence in Jesus as our only hope and savior. It is not until then that we experience life eternal. And even as we walk in him and walk with him, we must get up every day and ask ourselves this, am I living and alive with the risen Christ? Oh, positionally, if you're saved, you've trusted Jesus, you are. But are you living that out? Or are you willing to die every day to this world? We talked about that last week. Sometimes the pit is necessary because we have to die to self in order to live for Jesus. We have to put to death our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, our schedules, our plans. And we have to let Jesus bring his hopes plans, ambitions, and dreams into our life. And we ended last week's message with a quote from Romans, talking about dying to Christ, dying to the world rather, but living in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, join me in John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. Now in John chapter 11, this is a wonderful passage wherein Jesus speaks of living and death the grave and the resurrection. Now I said we're going to talk about the resurrection, but we're not going to look at Jesus' resurrection per se. We're going to talk about a man by the name of Lazarus. Now Jesus had in his group, he had 12 men that made up his immediate circle of disciples. But as Jesus went through his ministry for around three years, he, he gathered others around him. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, we believe that he had probably about 120 followers altogether. Susan and I were just talking about this the other day. You know, we're in the thing of big churches and big ministries and big everything. But if you were to go back and judge Jesus' ministry by today's Western standards, you'd be disappointed with him. Because he, he had basically pretty much what we have on a given Sunday morning. And his main compatriots were 12 guys. And all of those guys weren't all together there 
a.k.a. Judas. You know, it's interesting. Peter and Judas both denied Jesus. Did you know that? They did the same thing. Whereas Peter, however, changed his mind and came back to the Lord, Judas, in his selfishness, committed suicide and hung himself. One submitted to that grave and submitted to that spiritual death. The other wanted to live in Christ. So we're going to talk about Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' followers, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And they were very supportive of Jesus' ministry. They, they provided him at times a home base. And, and, and they were very close to him. Well, in John chapter 11, as Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem for his final week, he gets a message along the way that Lazarus has died. He was sick and that he had died. And, and, and the Bible says that grieved Jesus terribly. And so Jesus comes into the town. And as we pick it up in verse 38, the family is there. And, and by the way, at that time, they also had mourners. Now, Lazarus' family, Lazarus's family probably had some money because they had a larger house and they were able to host different meetings. And so at that time, when you had a loved one die, very often you would pay people to mourn at their funeral. How was that? You would pay people to cry as the procession marched to the street. You had people come to your house and cry. You would pay people to go to the graveside and grieve and mourn with you. How would you like to have that on your resume? You know, I tell you, I, I think that's interesting. There are some people I know, though, you couldn't pay them to come and cry at their funeral. But uh, Lazarus evidently had mourners gathered, family gathered, and his sisters were there. And as Jesus approached the family, it says in verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself. So as we begin to look at it, we're going to see that Lazarus was dead and buried. Lazarus was dead and buried. He was over. Jesus was, in, his, in the words of his sister, Martha, he was late. As a matter of fact, earlier, as Jesus was approaching the town, she sent out word to him and said, where have you been? It's been four days that we told you he was sick and now he's dead. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. They gave even Jesus grief back then. Can you imagine? Where have you been, Jesus? If you'd have been there, he would be still with us. Now, before you get super spiritual and judgy, I wonder how many times you and I have asked God, where have you been? Why weren't you here for me? Lord, if you would have been there, you would have taken care of this. You would have handled that. You would have stopped that. You would have given that. But she was grief stricken. And here in the very first line of chapter 11, verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself. It says again, he was groaning in himself. Because earlier, as he was approaching, he was groaning in verse 33. It also says that he was troubled. And then in the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five, 35, it says Jesus wept. And scholars for the last 2,000 years have been debating what was going on in his heart and mind. 
Notice it says this as we read it. It says, then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Typical way of wealthy people who buried their dead. Most people did not have this kind of money to do that. They were literally like we do today, buried them in the ground. But wealthier people were able to purchase a, a cave or a, a mausoleum and they were able to hollow it out and, and put the body in there. And so they came to the cave and a stone lay against it. So as we see this situation, Lazarus is dead and buried and we see the gloom, the crying, the weeping because a loss has occurred. We call it grief. Grief is terrible. Grief is tough. Most of us here today have been through some form of grief or another. We've all lost somebody that we loved or cherished. But it's not just losing a person, it's also losing something else that can cause us to grieve. We might have lost some precious possession that we cling to and loved and we grieve over it. We might have lost that one love in our life that turned us down, rejected us, caused grief. Grief can be caused by losing a dream, losing a goal, not getting a job, not getting into that college. Any kind of loss can produce grief. So we understand the gloom. And Jesus himself was groaning, troubled, weeping. And as we said, scholars have been debating this and they wonder, was Jesus, did he love Lazarus that much? Well, I know he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We know he loves all of us, of course. But it is believed that Jesus was troubled in his spirit because he saw so much wasted emotion. He saw so much grief with no understanding and most importantly, no hope. No hope. We talked about hope Wednesday night when we looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, speaking of the rapture catching away of the church. Paul said, look, you've had a lot of people die and you're worried about what happened to them. He says, I don't want you to, to grieve as other grieves, as those who have no hope. Jesus was grieved in his spirit because he perceived that there was no hope. And he's going to bring hope. So the gloom, the grief, look what he says. In verse 39, he said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, who had approached him earlier and complained to him, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. I like the way the old King James words it. Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's a better word. Yeah, she said, don't take the stone away. He, he's been there for four days. His body is breaking down. I'm sure it will smell. Leave it alone. And oftentimes when we're grieving or we're in gloom and somebody wants to come alongside us and say, hey, this is what you can do. Hey, this is where you can go. Let me, let's talk together. Here's some advice. We say, look, just leave it alone. It's a mess. Just leave it alone. It seems like we want to revel in our grief and gloom. And she said, don't take the stone away, Lord, because by this time there's a stench. He smells. Look at verse 40. Then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
So we have the gloom, we have the grief, and we also have the forgotten gospel. Now the word gospel means good news. And Jesus chides Martha and those who are listening saying, listen, did you forget? Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You know, I'm amazed at how many people walk around who confess Christ and yet they live defeated, disillusioned, discouraged lives. Because things don't go our way. We're dealing with gloom. We're dealing with grief. We're locked into our struggle. And even when somebody comes alongside and say, hey, can I help you? Can we talk? Can I, can I do something for you? No, no, just leave me alone. It's amazing when somebody suffers heartache in their lives. And, and I'm talking about believers. Let me just focus this on believers this morning. When a believer struggles, when a believer has different, they don't even want to come to church. Instead of coming to church where they can worship and find fellowship, they sit home alone. And they forgot, just like you and I do sometimes, that if we believe, if we trust the Lord, we will see God move. We will see the glory of God. I wonder if we confess this morning, and I'm not going to make anybody do that, but I wonder how many of us have really seen the power of God move in our lives. I wonder how many of us have seen the glory of God in our lives. You say, oh, pastor, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it does. Do you know why it doesn't happen anymore? Because we don't allow it. Because we're dead and buried. Yes, oh, we know Jesus. He rose again from the dead. We placed our faith in him. Oh, I know I'm going to heaven. Great. But it sounds like you bought your train ticket to glory. But what about right now? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. He didn't say I've come to give life and give it to you later. As a matter of fact, when you receive Christ as Savior, yes, you get eternal life. But that doesn't start when you physically die. You, if you're a believer, you have eternal life right now. The Spirit of God dwells in you right now. You're a prince or princess of God right now. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the riches of grace, the wealth of heaven, they are available to you right now. But yes, we live in a world that's fallen, broken. We struggle with our health. We struggle with our money. We struggle with our families. We lose things and we suffer grief. Roll the stone away. Oh, Lord, we can't do that by now. He stinks. Well, you forgot. You forgot that I told you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So I want to ask you this morning again. Have you seen the glory of God in your life? I'm not talking about some spectacular religious experience. We're not going to get into that. I'm talking about literally God moving in your life in a way that you can, cannot deny it's his presence. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? So in a sense, not only were we dead before we were saved, but unfortunately, even after we get saved, we walk around shrouded in our grave clothes still. And that's not how it's meant to be. We need to dig out. How do we do that? Well, let's look at prayer and power. Those two things are very important. Next month, we're going to do an emphasis on prayer here at West Concord Baptist Church, because as we dig out, we need God's power. 
And we can do nothing without prayer. So Jesus said, did you forget? Well, he says this in verse 41, or the Bible says this. So he said, roll the stone away. Did you forget? And so this is what they did. Notice in verse 41, then they took away the stone. So if we want to live in that Christ life, if we want to live like Jesus rose, live resurrected lives, what do we do? There is a kind of a thing going on. It's a balance. What we can do and what God can do. What do we do? Well, in order for Lazarus to come out of that grave, the stone had to be moved. Jesus said, you got to take the stone away. As we go through our lives as believers, oftentimes we let those obstacles, those gravestones get in our way. The biggest gravestone we let get in our way is selfishness or pride. I'm going to do it my way. I'm a self-made man. I am woman, hear me roar. I've got my philosophy. I've got my politics. I've got my way of doing things. You're not going to tell me anything. Who do you think you are, preacher? Well, I don't think I'm anybody. I'm no better than you. But I know the author of the book. But oftentimes, I know in my life, the biggest obstacle sometimes is me. Sometimes the biggest obstacle is my grief, is the fact that I've lost something I've loved instead of reaching out to someone who loves me. Sometimes it's our grief. Sometimes it's our, our tradition in our lives, not just at church, but I'm talking about in our personal lives. It's my way of doing it. It's the way I've always done it. I thought it was funny at the VBS announcement. We already, we've already started the Dukes and Miracle Whip Wars. You know, when I, I grew up, my first 28 years was spent in Tampa, Florida. I thought, the, I thought Dukes were something you fought with, okay? I never heard of Dukes mayonnaise until I moved up here. And you know what? It's real good. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny? The loudest amens we're getting in the service today is over mayonnaise. Better wake up and listen. You know what, if I want mayonnaise and there's no dukes around, I'll grab just about anything. But you know, on a, on a more serious note, we often let our politics, our pride get in the way. We let our own desires get in the way. I mean, look around you at these empty chairs. Why aren't they filled? You know, it's amazing to me. I always read the statistic that 85 to 95 percent of Americans believe in God. Gallup says that, Barna says that. Well, where in the world are they? God bless you all for being here, by the way. And I know some are on vacation, some are working, some are sick. I, I get that. But you know, sometimes we just get in the way. We let that, or we let our anger. We're mad at somebody. We're mad at somebody in the church, so I ain't coming because they're there. Well, you know what? I don't come for you. I come to worship Jesus Christ. I hear people say sometimes, oh, brother Mike, I just want to go to the perfect worship service. Well, here's the thing. If you were at the perfect worship service, you wouldn't know it was the perfect worship service. Do you know why? Because you'd be so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, it wouldn't matter. That's the perfect worship service. If you notice it's not perfect, the problem is with you. We let grudges get in our way. We let laziness become the block that's holding us back. We let material things, schedules, 
So what can we do? Well, we need to pray. And, and when he said move the stone, you know what we need to do? We need to move that stone. We need to move aside. This is what God is waiting for us to do. We need to move aside whatever obstacle is in the way of us finding real life in Christ. It may be sin that you're habitually involved in. It may be anger and grudges. It may be selfishness. It may be pride. It may be laziness and indifference. Whatever that stone is in the way of you and I experiencing life, only you and I can move it. And it, it takes a decision of your will. You have to do side. And I'm not just talking about an invitation on Sunday morning. It has to be a daily decision, sometimes an hourly decision. Otherwise, you and I, even though we profess faith, we're going to stay locked up in the grave, dead and buried. Prayer and power. So that's, he said, you got to move the stone. And then as we read on and it says, and from the place where the dead man was lying, they removed the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he began to pray. Now I've had people in the past and still do ask me, pastor, if Jesus is God, why does he pray? I mean, that's like talking to yourself. That doesn't seem right. Well, I don't know about you. I talk to myself all the time. Don't tell me you don't. And here's another thing you might make, me ner make you nervous about me. I answer myself. <laughs> but Jesus, yes, he is God in the flesh. Why is he praying? Well, here is your answer. As he's praying, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Now, here's the answer to it. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. Jesus would pray where others would hear him so they could see Jesus modeling that prayer. They can see Jesus praying, Jesus talking to his father. He said, I, I did this so they that stand by can see it, that they may know and believe that you have sent me. We need prayer. Even Jesus at this point prayed to his heavenly father. Again, next month, we're going to really reemphasize prayer here. But if you are not in a daily, habitual, consistent time of prayer, you're trying to do this alone and you cannot move that stone alone. You need God to help you. You need God to give you the strength. You need God to motivate you to bring someone alongside to help you. So what can you do? You can, you can move the stone. You can get it out of the way and only you know what that is. And you can pray. But also Jesus prayed. That's where the power comes from. God interceding on our behalf. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament is referred to our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody who stands up for you when it seems like nobody does. But Christ is all the time standing up for us. I appreciate people who do that. I appreciate people who have bottles of water. They're ready to hand me. Sean has been here waiting. How do I do this? <laughs> Thank you, sir. And Jesus spoke to his father. See, we get, it, we get confused. There's a law of how God works, and we've talked about it before. And this is, here it is. Write it down or remember it. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Okay, that's the first part of the law. 
God's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. You say, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. Lord, please help me lose weight. Honey, pass the Twinkies. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Do they make Twinkies? I don't know. I need to stop smoking. Lord, I need to, you you know, that's fine, but God's not going to make it happen for you. But here's the second half of it. You cannot do what only God can do. That's where the prayer comes in. Even Jesus modeled that prayer for us. You've got a stone hindering your walk with Christ. You've got something blocking your release from whatever has enchained and ensnared you. Then you had better decide to move it and you need God's help to do it. But you only you can make that decision to move it. I can't make that for you. You know, I'm amazed at people who stay out of church for a while. And because no one from the church calls them and checks on them. Oh, nobody loves me in that church. I'm not coming back. Why do you go to church to begin with? You're a grown up. You're a Christian. Guess what? Sunday morning, unless you're sick or unless you're working or out of town, this is where you're supposed to be. Go ahead and get mad. I don't care. This is where you're supposed to be. And if you're depending on a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, another Christian coming, oh, please come to church. Please come to church. I'm not going to come beg you to come to church. I love you. I'll check on you if you're sick. I'll help you do whatever I need to do and whatever you need. I'll be happy to help you. But if you're just sitting back waiting on somebody to come check on you, God has commanded you to worship with the church. Yet we're waiting on somebody to do for us what we can do for ourselves. God's not going to do anything for you that you can do for yourself. But you can't do what only God can do. Prayer and power. That's where we find life. So Jesus said, move the stone. They moved the stone. Jesus prayed for the father that he would intervene. And now comes the big thing. Look at this. This is so cool. I love this. Verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, notice, and you can, can you imagine? It's been so noisy, but now it's quiet. And then Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, understand this. Notice a couple things. He had to use Lazarus name. Because if Jesus, because he's God in the flesh, because he's the giver of life, if Jesus would have just hollered, come forth, the whole graveyard would have emptied out. (laughs) Boy, that would have been a story too, wouldn't it? How cool is that? But he was focused on Lazarus and he called out, Lazarus, come forth. And notice what happened. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. So here's the picture. Here's Lazarus. He's raised to new life. Lazarus, come forth. Now understand when they buried people in biblical days, they literally mummified them. They wrapped them in strips of cloth. So he would have been just wrapped up. And then they would also wrap the face with a, with a napkin. And then they would wrap that around. So here's this poor guy. He's just risen from the dead. And the stones move. And here he is just trying to walk and struggle out of that grave. I don't know about you, but that's how I got saved. You know, I, I was wrapped in sin. I was, I was buried in self. And when I came to know Jesus Christ, I, I, I came out with all that stuff on me. And even sometimes in life, we get locked back in that again. And it's a shame because how can you, can you imagine being risen? Can you imagine if Lazarus had to walk around the rest of his next life with all that stuff on him? 
But often we get saved and we come to know Jesus and we don't leave that, those trappings and those wrappings behind. We're still wrapped up in self. We're still bound in sin. Yes, we're saved and what we should be doing is surrendering that to Christ. So not only is there a stone in the way, but we're just so wrapped up in this world. Jesus calls it in one of the parables to be entangled by the world and the affairs of the world. So he was raised to new life. Can you imagine just being Lazarus? For, you've been dead, but now, whoa, what, where, how, what? They're calling me back. I'm back. And he begins to come out of that grave because he didn't want to be in there anymore. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted Him and you know you're going to heaven, you're raised to new life. You've passed from death unto life. Whereas before you're spiritually dead, now you're alive in Christ. That's what happened when you got saved. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a great miracle. The only problem is often we still cling to the grave clothes. We're still bound. We're still wrapped so look what Jesus says at the last part of this verse. He says, loose him and let him go. He needed to be released to live life. Loose him and let him go. Get those grave clothes off of him. Unwrap him. Let him walk free. Let him smell the air. Let him feel the sun on his face. And now walk with a new life. Lazarus, in analogy, has exactly what we have. God used him to demonstrate the new life in Christ. Lazarus had died. We were born dead. Through Christ, we've been raised. But that's not the end of it. We need to decide every day that we die to this world. We need to take those grave clothes and take them off. We need to take those bindings and unbind them. We need to release ourselves and live as risen brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But we don't. We allow the world to get us down. We allow the news to get us down. We allow people to get us down. We get locked up in our sin, our tradition, our selfishness. And we're bound up. Raised and released should be the characteristic of our life, raised to new life. When you got saved, you were raised out of the grave. Now you need to be released to live. Move the stone, unwrap the wrappings, and walk out. Loose him and let him go. I love what John MacArthur says, pastor in California. He said this about the resurrection power of Christ. He said, the resurrection power of Christ deals with sin at our salvation. We experience his resurrection might at salvation. We were buried with Christ in his death and we rose with him to walk in newness of life. We saw this in Romans chapter six last week as he cites this passage. That's what our salvation is. When we receive Christ, we admit our sin, our brokenness, our spiritual death. We die in Christ and then we're raised to new life. That's what water baptism symbolizes. But, he goes on to say, to defeat sin daily, we need his resurrection power to be our resource. We need, his, we need his strength to serve him faithfully, to conquer temptation, to overcome trials, and to witness boldly. Only as we build our relationship with Christ and tap into his might 
will we have victory over sin in this life. Whatever block, whatever sin, whatever trapping and wrapping that you're wrapped in, you and I need the resurrection power of Christ. We need to surrender to Him as Lord and and move those stones that are in the way. And we need to allow Him to unwrap and untangle us. That's what COVID was about. And whatever other spiritual or emotional or physical things that we're going through. Many of us here have gone through sicknesses, financial heartache, relationship problems. God has allowed you to go through these things because he wants to raise you to something better. Paul said this so much as he finishes the chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I ask you, is your life a symbol of victory today? This is something I got to deal with and work on every day. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm not as spiritual as you are. But there are days things get me down. There are times things in the ministry just tear me apart. There are times personal issues, health issues. And I have to go back and I have to ask God to help you know, move this stone and claim victory and seek victory in Christ. It comes through yieldedness to him. Claiming it, naming it doesn't happen. We have to achieve it, not achieve it, but we have to receive it through, through surrender to Christ. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection of Christ saves us. The resurrection of Christ also sets us free to live saved. So go back to the initial thing. Do you remember that if you believe and trust Christ, you will see the glory of God? Do you see that in your life? Have you moved the stone away? Have you let God unwrap the trappings and wrappings? God said, listen, get loose and go live for him. Politics, don't let that get you down. Don't let the COVID thing get you down. Go, don't let all this stuff. Yes, it's distressing. It's concerning. But you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is my king. And I'm a citizen of his kingdom. And I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. N.T. Wright, as I finished this morning, said this. N.T. Wright is a uh, scholar and actually a resurrection scholar. And he says this. I love this. He says, dust we are. Don't you feel like that most days? Dust we are. And to dust we shall return. But God can do new things with dust. Come out of the grave. Come out of the grave. Live. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.